This is the Before the Millions podcast, episode 37. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur and you are listening to the before the millions podcast hey this is mark asquith the host of the seven minute mentor podcast global entrepreneur and all-round geek and you are listening to the before the millions podcast i am mc lobster the cash flow ninja and you're listening to before the millions podcast you're listening to the before the millions podcast but whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent you've come to to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. Hey, what's up? What's going on, BTM community? We're back for another installment, another episode of the Before the Millions podcast. On this episode, guys, we are featuring Mr. Billy Keels. Now, Billy is just your your average guy from Cincinnati, Ohio, who happened to notice some slightly better than normal opportunities and took advantage of them. Today, Billy is an international investor who has traveled and been to over 80 countries, 80 countries, guys, and still has a full-time job. He's in sales. We really get into his story, but more importantly, we get into how he's able to live the lifestyle of his dreams. And he truly lives a great lifestyle, as you can tell. 80 80 countries? That's crazy. I need to catch up. This episode is extremely long and extremely good because we talk about everything. We talk about his lifestyle. We get into some strategy. We talk about seller financing, how to get seller financing. What is seller financing to, to, to begin with? We talk about the importance of a team, especially as an overseas investor, and how you leverage your team to get your cash flowing assets to, to travel and live the life that you've always wanted. Very, very, very powerful episode, guys. Can't wait to get into it. Back in maybe November when I made my 2018 goals for this podcast and for my coaching and consulting and helping people get into their first property, I knew that I was going to break out different products in different phases. And the very first product was one-on-one coaching. That's been more so to help alleviate a specific problem that somebody's going through or maybe get somebody started on their path to real estate investing. And that's been amazing, guys. Like Testimonials have been great and I've been putting them up. So you guys should definitely go check them out. But I always knew that I wanted a more intimate relationship with the people that I worked with. And I wanted a more long-term relationship and a more fulfilling relationship and like actually being able to walk through somebody else's path while they're going through their trials and tribulations, while they're figuring out their team members, while everything is going on, I wanted to be there through the whole process. So I always knew that one-on-one coaching was something that I was going to phase out by the end of the year, but I've been working super, super, super hard to get the rest of my products ready. And with that comes less time for one-on-one coaching, but also with that comes me being ahead of schedule. So Although my original plan was to do one-on-one coaching for the whole year, my packages are probably going to be ready a lot earlier than I expected. So with that being said, I don't even think I'm going to be able to do one-on-one coaching again after this month, which is crazy because I plan on at least having 
three or four more sessions this year. But it's not a bad thing. It's an exciting thing because I'm evolving the products that I'm currently offering and I'm getting more hands-on and helping people achieve true success. So I'm, I'm excited. But with that being said, there's probably maybe two slots. I think there's only one slot available, guys, for one-on-one coaching left in February. So, so if you're interested in that last slot, maybe last two slots, definitely visit forthemillions.com slash work with me. And if you're listening to this episode at any time in the future, always just visit beforethemillions.com slash work with me and you'll see the current product offerings. And if it's something that you're interested in, if it's a way that you feel that we can work together, reach out to me, sign up, uh, whatever the case may be, and, and we'll work together towards your success. So with that being said, guys, let's get into the tip of the week. DeRay's tip of the week. So the tip of the week this week, guys, as tax season approaches, there have been major changes to the tax legislation this year under the Trump administration. And what do these changes actually mean for real estate investors? Well, there's a qualified business income deduction, and this is the biggest tax break afforded to small business owners in the past 30 years. It benefits owners and investors of pass-through entities, and it needs to be understood especially if you are a real estate investor. So my tip of the week this week is to get with your CPA. And this may be a conversation that you haven't had in the recent past because we haven't had any recent major tax overhaul like this. So get with your CPA and figure out what this new tax legislation means for you and your business. If you don't know what the qualified business income deduction is, sign up for my newsletter. Sign up for my newsletter or uh, visit my blog because I'll definitely be releasing an article this week on exactly how to take advantage of the new tax break. With that being said, guys, as tax season approaches, get with your CPA as soon as possible so that you can understand how the new changes in the tax legislation affects you and your taxes. And now your feature presentation said... The next guy. And now your feature presentation. On today's episode, I'm super excited to welcome our international guest, Mr. Billy Kills. How's it going? Going very, very well, DeRay. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here with you and, uh, and your audience today. I'm excited to have you. I've done some research and done some homework on you, Billy. I've actually listened to a few episodes of some podcasts that you've been on. So I'm quite familiar with a little bit of your story, but I know our audience has never heard of you before. So if you can give us a quick 30-second spiel and and kind of let us know what arena you're in in real estate and kind of what you do. Sure. So I guess first and foremost, I am a a father, uh, a husband, uh, a brother, a son, and a guy from Columbus, Ohio, who has been very fortunate to have parents that inspired me to always think beyond barriers that are out there. I've had a chance to uh, work and live in some uh, travel throughout some 86 different countries. And over the last 15 years, I've had a chance to live in Europe between France, Italy, and most recently Spain. I have been in love with the corporate roles for many, many years and have actually been absolutely enamored with real estate and and cash flowing real estate and the way that that can help to uh, get me and uh, my family uh, to live the lifestyle that we really want to be able to live and add value to a lot of people along the way. So that would be it, I guess, in about 45 seconds. 
You touched on a few key points that I really want to dive in on. You know, we, we, we talk about lifestyle design on, the, on this show. We talk about lifestyle design through a vehicle like real estate. And, and it's more, more, more specifically, when we talk about real estate, we're not talking about any type of real estate. We're talking about cash flowing real estate assets. And I'm a strong believer that cash flowing assets in general are the key to lifestyle design. I think, I think you, you kind of have those same uh, thought patterns and beliefs. Can you kind of expand on, on what you think about that? What you think about the art of cash flow and how you can leverage cash flow to live the type of life in which you can travel to 86 countries? Sure. So I guess the, the number one thing, and, and this has been a process, uh, right? Because I am a, I was a result of uh, an education system that taught me to go out get good grades. Once you get good grades, go out and get a great job and save, save, save and do those kinds of things. So uh, it has been up until recently that I thought everything that you could invest in was paper assets. So my mutual funds and my 401k and the Roth IRA. But it, it wasn't until I guess 2008 or 2000 and then again in 2008 when my portfolio went down and my hands were completely tied. I couldn't do anything. And I just watched my portfolio sink and when I would ask the financial advisors that I was working with, they would say, well, you just got to write it out. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense if I just have to write it out. And so it was after the second time that I was completely frustrated, uh, you know, had the, like the heart palpitations thinking I've worked all this time and it's happened to me again. So after the second time, I remember thinking about this, it was this little purple book that was sitting on my uh, dad and stepmom's place back in the States. And I, I didn't have a chance to pick it up, but after I picked it up and uh, fast forwarded, it just seemed like real estate was a new alternative to actually maybe having more control over my life and over my finances. And so kind of make it short, but after I realized and I started investing in, in real estate, I actually saw that once was able to control the property, manage it properly, that it was actually giving real money in my bank account, like money that I could actually touch and spend and use. And I thought, wow, this is something that I absolutely want to do more of. And so that was kind of the transition, uh, trying something, seeing that it was actually creating cash flow that I could actually touch. It wasn't something that was just on a statement or I was going to get a big fine or if I took it out. And that was kind of the switch for me. That was the, 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 the aha moment when I thought, wow, I can actually use and touch this money. It's real. So Billy, you mean to tell me that you don't cash flow through stock, stock investing? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not a big paper assets guy. Uh, it is possible if you go into some dividends, but let's say 95% of the population is not there. So yeah, it's kind of tough <laughs> to, to cash flow through buying common stock. The majority of, I believe, the U.S., people in general, especially people in corporate America, they're naturally are going to invest in the stock market. They're naturally going to invest in their 401k. And as you said, 95% of you know, the stocks out there, you're not producing dividends. So what's flawed about this formula? What's flawed about you know, specifically focusing on investing in the stock market? So I, I would say a couple of things. One, because it's not just corporate America, it's actually everywhere. So I think I'll just share my experience with you. Having lived in France, Italy, and Spain over the last 15 years, this is a phenomenon that's happening all over the globe. Uh, we're going to work and we're doing, you know, we're spending crazy amount of hours at the job and we don't have enough time to think about ourselves. We think more about, or you may be out there and you're, you're sitting and you're listening to us today and you're thinking about more of your one to 3% increase that you're going to get on your salary than you are about your own personal 
uh, finances. And so the fact that you are doing that, it's, it, it, you know, it's one of those things where you, you've got to figure out which type of assets are going to help you to be able to move forward and to be able to move forward uh, faster. So just blindly turning your mind off and putting X percent in your 401k or in your IRA, or if you're living outside of the United States in your pension plan or whatever you want to call that, some type of uh, defined contribution plan. At the end of the day, it's not a winning formula because I don't know anybody who wants to make less money as they get older than they make today. And that whole plan and premise is set up for you to make less money as you get older so that you can live on. And that, that to me is just a, uh, it's a flawed philosophy for me in my context, for somebody out there may want to do that, but the very few of us actually want to earn less as we get older. So, so not, not only does it sound like it's a flawed philosophy, theoretically, just in your mind and con- conceptually, but it's a flawed concept in the fact that you've experienced some downfalls. You, you had an experience in 2000, you had an experience in 2008. When did you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I want to say it was around 2010, probably around 2010 when I read it. I'd seen it on, my, on the shelf from afar, but it wasn't until I actually picked it up. Uh, it was 2010. But just imagine, I picked it up in 2010, but I didn't make my first investment in a property until 2013. Hmm. Why right? do you think it is? Because it was, uh, the alternative was too, it was too unique. I got scared. Right. I, I, when you start thinking, well, the paper assets, it's really easy. You put money in and you take it out. And this is not including your, your IRAs or your 401ks. I'm just thinking getting in and getting out of the market, the mutual funds and your dollar average costing and all this other kind of stuff. It's, it's really, really easy. But then as I read, when, when, after I read the Rich Dad book, then I read other books and other books around real estate. And I got really scared because once my thought process was once you put your money in, it's locked up forever in real estate. So if you don't get it right, you will be in trouble. You're going to get burned. There is some truth to that. So there's a, there's a much more education that you need to do and you need to spend time on. But I can promise you this, uh, in my experience, if, if had I known then what I know now, I would have started much, much sooner, even in the, uh, in the real estate game. Because you put in the time, you put in the work, you uh, surround yourself with the right people uh, real estate as an asset class has the ability to do some very, very powerful things and allow you to really live the lifestyle that you want to lead. On this show, we talk about the, the act of making, making an actual decision. Most of us, all of us, we think that we make decisions every single day. And some of these decisions aren't really made. They're more so suggestions. But, you know, between 20, uh, 2010 and 2013, uh, between that time that you first heard of Rich Dad Poor Dad and you invested in your, in your first investment property, I'm sure in 2010, you made the decision to most likely probably change your life, invest in real estate and, you know, start doing that moving forward. But there was something holding you back. There was something that, that, that you know, you, you weren't quite ready to pull the trigger yet. You know, it took you three years. What, what do you think shifted in that time frame in your mentality and your mindset that allowed you to start investing in real estate? One word, clarity. Mm. I got super clear that I didn't want to keep working 80 hours a week, putting my time into labor for someone else and not be able to get to the lifestyle that I really wanted to lead. Having not only gotten married, 
But then having children and that responsibility got me hyper clear on getting towards a lifestyle that I wanted to be able to live and that I could be proud of for myself and my family. Uh, and the fact that I had that clarity, it gave me two things. It gave, it provided me power and that power, it gave me the power to, to, to really act and finally decide on what I wanted to do. So that is, and I think that's the power of clarity just in general, right? You get laser focused and you, and then it's, it's your time to move forward. I love that. And I want to next jump to your first investment property, your first deal. I want to talk about how that went. But before that, you know, one thing that we do on every single episode is we, we take it back. We take it all the way back to primitive years, you know, college years, you know, the, the years, the years that your, your, your career is forming and your, and your mindset and your lifestyle is forming. Let's take it back really, really quick, Billy. Let's give a really brief description of first decade or so of, of your life before real estate investing. I'm not sure how long, how long you were in corporate America or how long you, you, you've been in the workforce before real estate investing, but let's, let, let's talk about those years and kind of talk about the path that you're on. I know you're in sales, but what exactly do you do and how, how has that shaped your life today? Okay. So I guess even if we take it back to the, before the college years, I, I talked about uh, parents before and they always inspired us. They sacrificed so much. Uh, my, neither of my parents went to finish college. They started, uh, actually my mom started and didn't finish. My dad never even had a chance to go, but they sacrificed so much for me and my brother and sister uh, so that we could always realize that, you know, there is another way. It's not just about putting in crazy, crazy hours. And so that helped me through as growing up into high school, uh, we moved around a lot when I was uh, when I was young. So we we lived in uh, I was born in Ohio. We lived in Colorado. We lived in uh, in Texas, and then we went back and family living in on the east coast of the states now. And so it was always the new the new kid in town. But what that helped me to do was realize that. I could go out, meet new people, adapt, learn, and it was always curious. And so we take that through my high school years, and it was really the same. Curiosity, always wanted to learn, grow, achieve, and, and I guess to a certain extent, uh, I wanted to do things right. I got good grades. I was the kind of the, the, the perfectionist that a little bit that I'm breaking out of that mold nowadays. I realized that, <laughs> that sometimes keeps you back. But getting into college, it was more, pretty much more of the same. I went to college at uh, Miami University in the in the southwest of the state of Ohio, and, and it was it was great. Met a lot of new people, great friendships, great relationships, and even had a chance to study overseas in Europe for the first time ever. Being the first person in my family uh, lineage to actually travel outside of the United States and and lived in uh, in Europe at that point in time, so that was great. Billy, really quick, I want to talk about, you know, your travel experiences and your mindset towards travel because you, you didn't come from an affluent family that traveled and that explored and that, that literally, you know, went, went out of the U.S. So what, was there a driving force that prompted you to travel or was it that first experience in Europe that you were like, this is addicting, I'm going to start doing this, or I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? How did that bug come about? I, I think it came, and I, and I guess I, re I reflect on this a lot, but it came probably from my parents, just the fact that, you know, I was, I was a little over a year old and we left Ohio and moved to, to Denver, Colorado. My parents wanted us to be in a new environment. They wanted us to be in a place where the rules weren't the same as before. And so I guess it, even at a very young age, I'd learned early on to be in new places and adapt. And then we left there and went to Texas. So 
I guess when I think about it now, it started happening at a young age and moving around in, in the different places within the same city, always learning, adapting, and curious, learning, adapting, curious. And then when I went to college, there was the opportunity to, to go overseas. And so I took advantage of that. And then after I graduated the first year, I have two degrees at a university, but uh, between the first and second degree is when I lived in Spain. And then when I went back, I was working for a company that gave me the opportunity to work and travel throughout some 58 different countries by the time I was 27. And I was working with uh, Fortune 500 CEOs, uh, names that we see all the time today, you know, the Bill Gates or, or John Chambers or Jack Nasser or Ken Chenault. And so that just being in that environment and having had the opportunity to learn and see so much by the time I was 27, it's just, it's something that has inspired me and wanted me to continue to do that. I mean, now a number of years later, over 80 different countries, and I feel like one of the most fortunate people on earth because my life has been influenced by so many different people, cultures, languages. And yeah, so I guess it was just, it started at an early age and, and it's just never stopped. It's never stopped. I love that. And I don't know if we've mentioned this on the show. We probably mentioned it before we started recording, but I believe you're speaking to us currently from Barcelona. Yes, I am. I, I live in Barcelona, Spain, because I love it here and it works for me and for my family. And I invest uh, my capital and now my investors capital where it makes sense for us, which is back in the United States. First off, where, where, where is your favorite place? What, you know, you've been to 86 different countries. Where, what would you say is your, your favorite place to, to be? I'm not sure if it's Barcelona, that's why you're there, but what, what would you say is your favorite place or your favorite experience? Well, I absolutely love Barcelona. It's something that's special, uh, having a wife from here and children were born here, so it, it has a special place in my heart. There is no one special place, but if you ask the question, and I, I remember just kind of right now going through my mind, the first time that I'd ever been to... Africa was amazing for me. I had always had, I guess, a dream as a child being in South Africa. I remember running, tears running, running down my eyes when I got to the, the, the hotel there in Johannesburg. I also think about uh, the first time going to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, which is absolutely amazing, uh, you know, there with the with life under underwater. I think about the first visit to the Great Wall of China with amazing group of, uh, of colleagues and also being in Ushuaia, which is in the uh, Tierra del Fuego, so at the furthest southern point in Argentina. So those are just some of the, I mean, I don't know if there's really one place, uh, but that is, those are some of the places that, uh, that I love. And also this European vacation of mine, I guess is what my parents call it, started in Paris, France. And so Paris always will have a, a very special place in my heart. People are surprised when I tell them that I'm bilingual and English is actually not my first language. But you, on the other hand, how many languages do you speak, Billy? If we don't include real estate, I speak, <laughs> I speak uh, five languages. So speaking Spanish, I speak Catalan, which is a language that they speak here in, the, in this region of Spain. I speak Italian. I speak French. And I speak American English, which is what a lot of my friends <laughs> from the UK will say. So yes, yeah, so I speak, uh, speak English. So those are the five. Billy, how? When did you learn, learn your second language? I guess being a kid from Columbus, Ohio, at least when I was not, growing not, up. There. Not Columbia, right? Not Columbia, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Columbus, man, Columbus. <laughs> I guess it was really from, from living in the places. So I've been very fortunate. I mean, I've been through those dark, dark nights and a lot of crying and uh, really difficult times. Uh, I remember learning French. I, I did a one-year sabbatical and I'd saved up a lot of money uh, when I was traveling. 
And I decided that I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn French language. I wanted to learn how to salsa dance and I wanted to learn more about wines. And so when I went to, to France, I showed up. I didn't know how to say my name is or anything like that. And it was just something that, well, that I had to learn on site. And then the same thing in Italy. I went to Italy. I didn't speak any Italian. I was there res- responsible for a sales team and had a great experience there. Learned a lot in seven months. And my Italian's still pretty good, I would say. And, uh, and then living here, working in Spain, in this region, so Spanish and Catalan, I use and speak every single day as I sell very complex business process solutions. So I love that. And, yeah. you know, it's funny because most people, there's, there's, there's this premise that if you're not in, in your formative years, if you're not, if you're not learning multiple languages, if you're not, you know, bilingual and, and at an early stage, it's very hard to pick up a second language, you know, not to even talk of a third, fourth, fifth language. And you were able to, to do this in, in later years. So I just, just knowing that from, from your experience and knowing your background, like I know that just knowing that on paper, you're going to be a successful person and you've turned out to be a successful person. That's super amazing. So Billy, let's, let's fast forward. Let's talk about before we get into the, the, the strategy and what I really want to touch on, which is how to invest overseas. Let, let's touch on you know, your life as a whole now. What currently do you do and what are you involved in and how does your life look? So the most important thing that I do on a day-to-day basis is I am, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the head of a household. So the responsibility for making sure that we can do things and have time together is the, is the most important thing to me. So yeah, so I guess that, that's the number one thing, being a husband, being a dad. And then also as it relates to kind of like the professional side of things, during the day I work for an application software company. So I am in sales. I've been in sales leadership for them since 2006, let's say, but I've been in the IT industry uh, since I got to Europe, which is 2002. So that's what I do during the day. I enjoy that. I am I'm fulfilled by that because I'm surrounded by really, really smart people. And I also enjoy it because I go to, I go to that job because I want to, not because I have to. Because in the evening, I had this little dream which started out for just me, I guess. It was really focused on me and my portfolio and my family. And, and it's grown into something that is much larger than about me. It's now focusing on not just buying real estate, but building a business and carrying the dreams of my investors in my hand and in my heart every single day. So when I'm not playing daddy or husband, then I'm focused on doing the, 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 the job during the nine to five. And then I am using as much of my time as possible to make sure that the, the business that I'm now owning and the system that I am responsible for and bringing those dreams to other people, that that's what I'm doing in the evenings, in the early, early, early mornings. How many hours would you say that you dedicate to your real estate business a week? I'm going to say I usually start somewhere between five, between five and 5.30 in the morning. I'll crank out probably two hours because I like to get meditation in. I like to get some also, uh, aside from the meditation, get a workout in. Uh, and then I want to be able to hang out with my kids before they go to school and, and out the door. So I'd probably do two hours in the morning. And then in the evening, I usually stop the other, uh, the day job, probably around 10. And then I'll crank out uh, from probably 10 to, to, to midnight, 1230, on making sure that, that, that the business is in shape, is growing and delivering on, on the promises that we made. Gotcha. So I don't, I don't know. So that's what, two hours, two hours in the morning, two and a half hours, four hours, probably do that five days a week. 
It's about probably about 20. Nice 20, little 20, part-time, part-time job. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, and during the day, I probably do 80 hours. So. <laughs> that, that's, so the day job, is that location independent as well? So it's, it's based here in Spain uh, and I do a lot of traveling. So I will travel to either Mallorca, which is uh, the Balearic Islands. So it's about, uh, about a 25 minute flight or I spend a lot of time in Madrid uh, or here in, uh, in Barcelona. Got it. I'm okay, also cool. traveling a lot. Cool, within Spain. cool. Love it. Love it. So let's talk about that first investment property. Talk about that first one. How did you find it? What are the numbers? How'd you get into it? How'd you finance it? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first property was really, it was, I mean, it was very traditional. I, you know, I, I, and, and it also came as a result of just wanting to, to change my portfolio, change the look of my portfolio. But once I realized that I was buying a property that was tens of thousands of miles and kilometers away from where I was, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> hang on a second. I got to figure this out. But, so, I, you know, you're, I met, you're, Billy, really quick, your first property was, you, you, you didn't buy your first property. Did, did you see your first property before you bought it? Before I bought it on the internet, yes. But physically, did I see the property? No. Okay. Okay. I just want to, I just want to point that out before you continue the story. Cause that's, that's amazing. Go ahead. Okay. So I met a banker and they were telling me about how, how the uh, lending worked. Cause I didn't, I mean, I had no idea how any of this stuff worked and this was what, 2012, <laughs> no clue. So I met a banker and they helped me to kind of understand a lot of the different types of loans, fixed rate, variable. Uh, you could do things with around HELOCs. And I was like, well, what is a HELOC? I don't even understand what that means. Help me understand the so later home equity line of credit and what that meant and all the different ways. And then I met a general contractor who then introduced me to a realtor, a real estate agent at the time. And the, and the agent helped me to find, you know, they put me on a list and sent me a lot of different things on MLS. And so I was, you know, I was studying and I'd been listening to all these different uh, I think it was listening to a lot at the time to, uh, to bigger pockets and the real estate guys. And they were talking about all these formulas and I was just trying to figure out, do any of these meet the criteria? Do they meet the criteria? Do they hit what I'm looking for? And so I finally found one. There was a, um, but in my mind, right, I was always thinking about single family residences. Like I was always thinking about that. So I, that's what I was looking for all the time. And there was this one property that came across and it happened to be a duplex. I was like, well, hang on a second. So I looked at the, at the duplex and I think at the time they were asking for like 95,000 for the property. And, you know, I just thought, well, let me put this number in and see if it, see if it works. And it did. It wasn't a property that was, that was being rented. It was some, it was a property that was owned, that was inherited by a daughter and she didn't want to live there. She wanted to move and move to Atlantic city. So I had to, I went to Rent-A-Meter, figured out what this type of property would be able to bring in, in terms of rent and put in an offer. It got accepted. Then I had to figure out all the different paperwork and being a U.S. citizen, but living in Spain, it was, I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare because nobody really knew how to handle it. But because I was so laser focused on making sure that this would get done, I found the right people that wanted to be able to work with me. And, you know, it took us a little bit longer than, than expected, but eventually we got it closed. I think we bought the first property. It was a duplex. It was 78000 that we were able to get it purchased for. So it was below what the asking price was. It, we were able to get the numbers uh, to work. We had to do, I put probably another 20,000 into the property because I wanted to make it rent ready. And yeah, I mean, this is the, this is the property that for me is, is started the dream and one that I'd, I'd like to think that I'll keep literally forever. I love that. That's, that's amazing. And it sounds like you had an amazing first experience that we can learn a lot from because you were in Spain. You were in Spain. Yes. You bought your first real estate investment property with no prior experience 
overseas. And that's what I want to talk about today, how we're able to create this lifestyle. And it's very scary for somebody to think that I can be you know, a million miles away and have property in the US or wherever it is and know and feel okay at the end of the day, be able to go to bed, you know, with, with the clear conscious, knowing that everything is running smoothly, knowing that my tenants are being taken care of. Like there's a, you know, there's a lot just, just owning the property, but the process of buying the property, being in a different time zone, working with people that, you know, may not, and may not know if you're credible or not. When it comes to overseas, you know, there are tons of scams, there are things out there. It's, you know, I can imagine how that first experience was. How uh, so? Let, let, let's kind of dive into a little bit more. You know, I have. I want to talk about financing. I want to talk about your goals. I want to talk about your criteria. But how? You know, one of the first things you touched on were the different people that you you ran into. Was that in happenstance, or was that was that was that something that you planned on doing when you when you found these different members of your team? Yeah. So it was very deliberate, right? Because once I got that clarity, then it was laser focused. It's it's time to get to work, right? This is this is now what we're going to do there. No, it's not an option. We go forward. And so by being able to find uh, people that I, I, that I knew liked and trusted, uh, I was able to learn as much as possible. And then they were kind enough to recommend me meeting other people. For instance, the, the banker who introduced me to a general contractor that had worked, done some work on, on her property, the general contractor then knew a number of different realtors or real estate agents that could help me find properties. They could expand the reach. Uh, me taking time to get on a plane to fly from Barcelona back to the US to invest my time, my energy, my currency, right? Euros, dollars to be able to build those relationships, right? Because everything starts with a relationship. And then me just, you know, wanting to be humble enough to understand how could I learn as much from the person that was helping me and then be able to do for them as well. And the way that I could do that was, you know, the banker I'd want to, once I got the property, bring the mortgage through their bank. Once it looked to purchase the property, to purchase it through the agent that had helped invest time and build the relationship with me. And then once I wanted to improve the property that I just purchased, well, who better to go to than the person that had also invested time in me? Then afterwards, it's about making sure that, you know, is the right title company there? Do I need an attorney? Who's going to actually manage the property? How are we going to do that? So it's just, you, you don't know what you don't know, but because of that natural curiosity, wanting to see new things, do new things, uh, it was just part of the process. I guess it reminded me back to when I was the new kid in class, when I was moving to Houston, Texas. Same kind of thing, same kind of philosophy, building relationships, and then returning that, uh, that investment in the way that I could. And that was through investing in my time and, and, and my euros and my dollars with those people. I love that. That's, that's amazing. And you said something. You said you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of people stop right there because the future is so unclear. The future hasn't been forged. And there's no way you can know that if you go into something that's going to be successful, most people just are like, I'm comfortable where I'm at. There's no point in taking a risk because I don't know what's going to be on the other end of that risk. And that's not how entrepreneurs think. That's not how real estate investors think. You know, the other day I was watching this show on Netflix. It's called, um, Coffee with Comedians. It's by uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I actually mentioned this on the episode coming out tomorrow. So my listeners are going to be hearing this twice now. But um, he had a quote, and this is the quote, you don't need to know anything. Everything that you need to know, you'll figure it out when you need to know it. Even if you miscalculate and make a wrong decision, you needed to know that. 
And I think that's so powerful. You know, that just speaks to, to the concept of just getting started. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You know, the person that, that has all this real estate knowledge, has all this real estate experience and doesn't get started, as opposed to the person who has no real estate knowledge, has no real estate experience, but gets started, makes tons of mistakes. That person is going to use that mistakes as leverage and become a success. Whereas that other person who, who has all this knowledge, who's book smart, who knows you know, what a good deal looks like, but, but is scared, is, is creating problems in their head before that problem even arises, that person is never going to be successful. So I think that's amazing advice. You made me just think about something I'd mentioned to you before that I'm breaking out of this being a perfectionist thing. And so I guess it was a, I told myself that I always wanted to do the right thing. But when I, when I think about my life, and I think you, you, we mentioned before the, the, the languages, it is absolutely impossible to speak a language perfectly the first time. It's impossible. Like We don't remember it when we were young that we didn't speak perfectly because we had our parents or our loved ones that were around us and they were correcting us all the time. But I started wanting to learn a third, fourth, and fifth language at 28 years old. And so I have looked dumber than most people. I have sat at more tables and I didn't know any of the punchlines of the jokes. And I've looked like the guy who was absolutely ridiculous. But when you know that you want to do something, i.e. learn a language, get started in real estate or whatever that thing is, you have to be willing to you know, look maybe a little bit dumb. Ask the questions that make you uncomfortable and sit at the tables where, you know what, you're the only person who doesn't know the, the, the punchline to the, to the joke. But I promise you, when you're clear and you stick to it, not only will you have that first property that you're thinking about buying, you're going to make mistakes, don't worry. You will speak that eighth language. You will start to get that first Michelin star or whatever the case may be, but you've got to be willing to make the mistakes and learn from the mistakes and try not to make the, the same mistake twice. It's absolutely key. And I, you know, I've, I've made millions of mistakes with languages and I've made hundreds of mistakes with real estate. And that's what helps me to be the person that I am today and the, the entrepreneur that I am becoming. I love it. I love it. Those mistakes define us. You know, you have to fail. You have to fail forward. You have to learn from those mistakes. All the magic happens outside of your comfort zone. And that goes with anything. You know, that goes with real estate investing. That goes with working out. As soon as you reach your threshold, if you, if you get in a, a few more reps, you know, that, that's when the magic really happens. It's those last two reps that, you know, once you can't go anymore, it's those last two reps that, that have the most impact on you. So all the magic happens right outside of your comfort zone. If you can just kind of break through that mentality, I think that will be uh, all the more successful. Completely agree. Completely agree. We, we talk about this banker relationship that you've created, and I want to dive into that specific relationship more because that was the very first relationship that you created that kind of you, you used to leverage these other relationships. And it's funny how he recommended you to a general contractor before you even had a realtor. That, that, that's yeah. amazing. How did, how did you find your banker? You know, you're living in Spain. You know, people, people are looking, you know, to invest internationally. We have different types of listeners from all over the world. You know, you're living in Spain and you're looking to invest in the U.S. And the first thing it seems that you did was to go look for a banker. Why did you go look for a banker and how did you find him? So I found her uh, from the, through my family. <laughs> I was looking for someone who could help me on the money side of things because I realized at the end of the day that that, that real estate from the, all the books that I'd read, and it was becoming this whole like kind of analysis paralysis situation that I had to understand how the money worked because if I didn't, it could hurt and hurt really bad if I made a mistake. So that's where 
I realized that that's where I wanted to start. And so I spoke to my dad at the time and I asked my dad if he knew uh, anybody that could help me out on the, on the lending side. And so he recommended a person to me and she has been somebody. So the, the, the branch manager has been, she's been absolutely fantastic in helping me, especially in the early days to get started. Since then, you know, we've kind of gone to a whole different area and now working with the private lenders and investors that are coming on board. So, but Nye, she was the, she was the starting point and really helping me to understand uh, how the money worked and some, and a lot of the different options that existed from a, a retail traditional banking perspective. Got it. So you did your research, you listened to podcasts like Bigger Pockets and, and, and some of these other podcasts, and you got really, really clear on what you wanted to do. You wanted to buy your first single family home, but you ended up finding a duplex. Mm-hmm. Now, what was your criteria? What were you, what were you, were you looking to kind of uh, run your, your real estate business parallel at the time and create, were you looking for cash flow? Like what was your, what was your motivation? What were your goals back then? And I know that they massively transformed since then. But if you remember, what were your goals back then? I wish I had the book with me here because I, I, would, I would show it to you. All right, I would get out and I'd read it. But basically in, in the second, the latter part of 2012, I think it was November 2012, I wrote down a, I wrote down my goals because I'm one of those people like I, I have like new words are plastered all over the house whenever I learn a new language. So I needed to see things, right? And when I see my sales target, I know what it is. Every week I know what I need to do. I have to see it. And so I wrote down that I wanted to earn a four-figure net income by owning 10 properties in a five-year time span. So that was my goal. Like I knew I, I knew it had to be 10 doors. And I was thinking 10 single family residences in five years that were kicking off minimum four figure net income. So of course I'm thinking at least, a, at least a thousand, uh, at least a thousand dollars of net income. Why was so, that Because I didn't know any better and I had to start somewhere. I had no idea. I mean, it was, it was just arbitrary. So I thought, you know what, if I'm able to make a hundred dollars a door, you know, if I, and it meets the 1.5 rule and I can do this and I can do that. But basically the, what the goal was, how do I get $100 a door? How do I do that in five years? And how can I do that with at least 10 properties? Because, well, I just had to pick somewhere to get started. Little did so, I know. So there was no pain that you were, you, you were running from. There was no underlying, there's a situation in which I don't feel comfortable in that I want to. Some people, they start investing because they're looking to create a stability in, in, their, in their mind maybe not even in their workplace, but in their mind, knowing that, you know, they're, they're covered as far as, you know, just being diversified in general, just creating stability. Some people are looking to create cash flow so they can go and do the things that they love. If real estate investing is not something that the, some people actually love real estate and that, that that's their passion. You know, what, what was, what was your underlying motivation? So on one side, I was frustrated about having my, my portfolio crash, right? That it happened to me twice and, and I didn't want it to happen a third time. I think, uh, you know, you've heard that phrase, if it happens once, shame on you. If it happens twice, shame on me. Well, it happened to me twice. So I thought this is not going to happen a third time. So I was running away from that frustration of feeling like I didn't know what I was doing and watching my portfolio crash into the ground. But more importantly, I was, I'm, I'm actually running towards a dream. Like I, I'm, I want to, and we are going to, win this game. And that is for uh, my family to be able to travel and live between Europe and the US to be able to do that on our time. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> and, and, and basically being able to do that, if need be, on our dime. I am surrounded by people in the environment that I, that I work in that are making 
six figure, sometimes three, four, 500,000 euro uh, dollar bonus checks. So typically, unless they don't understand how to manage money, which the more and more that I speak to people, I realize that it is something that we weren't taught. And so how it doesn't matter that you're making a whole bunch more money. If you don't know how the money works, it's going to be uh, difficult. So fortunately, not running away from things, but running towards a dream of being able to do something. Because I, I realize even more so, uh, if it were just about money, eh, I would probably have stopped doing this a long time ago because there's not really any need to, to do it, fortunately. But, but there is something bigger now that is about living between Europe and the US. That is what drives me. What drives me now is also being able to carry those dreams of my investors with me every day, all day, because I want them to also achieve what they're looking for. I love that. What was your second deal? How did, uh, what was that? Was that and how, how soon after your, you closed on your first deal did you get your second deal? <laughs> so the first deal was, what was that? I think it was my wife and I were in Cairo, Egypt, and we closed on the deal in 2013. And the second deal, I got the property under contract, I think it was December or November, November of 2013 as well. I was in Los Angeles at one of my friend's 40th birthday party. I happened to see, because you know, I was, all day long I was looking, I'm looking for properties. What's the opportunity? That was my mindset back then. It's, you know, it's evolved since then, but, and got the property under contract while I was in Los Angeles at my friend's 40th birthday party. And then it was in January of 2014 that closed on the next property, which was a, a fourplex. So, and it was a similar kind of thing. The numbers seemed to work. Uh, I wanted to put my money to, to work. And I was, I guess I was kind of in that flywheel because I just purchased the first duplex. And then there was a fourplex that came up and I thought, wow, okay, well, yeah, this works as well. Let's throw in another offer. <laughs> how how did you with- find the second property? From the realtor, from the real estate agent that I met that closed the first deal, well, guess what? That relationship was working. And so the more offers, more, more offers kept coming in because I invested my time and energy to build that relationship. She'd done the same from a real estate agent perspective, and she knew what my criteria were. So it made it easier for her to go out and look for which types of problems me and my company wanted to solve. And so the filtering got better and, and then came through. And, uh, and that was another opportunity that, that, that worked really well. I love the way you phrased that. You didn't say what type of investments do we want to get into? What is the bottom line that I'm trying to achieve? You said, which type of problems are me and my company trying to solve? And I think that's, that's super key, especially as an entrepreneur. You know, what problems are you able to solve? If you're able to solve somebody's problem, if you're able to solve a need, you know, not only are you benefiting yourself, but you're benefiting the person on the other side. You're, you're, you're alleviating somebody's stress. You're helping them through a tough time. So I think that's amazing. And the fact that you were able to build on a relationship that, again, going back to thought process that it's not always what you know, it's who you know. You know, this all started with a banker, somebody that you knew from inside of your family, introduced you to a GC, introduced you to, to a realtor. This realtor helped you close on your first property. This realtor brought you your second property. You know, it, it's a relationship business. So these relationships are key. These relationships are important. So this second property you closed almost as soon as you closed on the first property and you hadn't even, you hadn't even seen real estate success. So you were just, you were just up and at them. Were, were these successes or, or do you still own these properties in your portfolio today? 
Yes, I still own these properties in my portfolio. And, and I, I, if you let me just, I want to say one thing because it, because it is, I mentioned before, so this has been a shift. In the beginning, I was looking for what is the property that I can go out and buy? And I thought, you know, can I get it the cheapest and blah, 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 right? And, and a lot of you will probably be thinking the same thing. At the end of the day, it is about which problems do you want to try and solve? Which problems are you and your team able to go out and solve? And, and, and not only is that as it relates to real estate, but as I start to work with more and more investors, the problems are not just things that don't work or someone who is broke or someone who is down and out. I work with, I work with lots of people, as I mentioned before, that are, you know, they earn 300, 400, 500, 600,000 euros, dollars, and they have problems. They, they have problems. And most of the time people think, well, if you've got money, you don't have problems. And that's not true. So that is where you have to sit down. You actually have to be interested in what the person is, what, what they're going through that's in front of you, just like the property that you may look at. You've got to understand what problem does this property have or what problem does this person have that's in front of me? They may make 600000 a year and they, they're tired of paying you know, 50 some odd percent in tax. Well, that's a problem if they want to pay less in taxes. Well, guess what? I have a solution that may be able to help you depending on your context. So you have to really be focused on the other person, on the property, what problem it is that you want to solve. And that, that's something that's fundamentally been a, a mind shift for me because I wasn't raised that way. So it's something that I have, and it's still in the process of evolving through, but I really like to spend a lot of time understanding who is that person in front of me and, and what problem do they have that I can help them out with? Because if they don't have a problem, there's probably very little that I can do to help them. I love that. I love that. Your portfolio at that time consisted of, of small, small multifamily. How were you financing that? I, I know, I know that, that you had a banker and the bank was putting up a portion of that, but on your end, how were you financing the down payment and things of that nature? Were you, were, did you start to transition your money from your 401k or what, what were you doing back then? No. So I was just, you know, I, I was using my own capital because, well, I, I wanted to put it to work. And like I said, I was fortunate enough to be able to have that capital and it was very lazy. It wasn't growing and I had to figure out how to start make it growing. And so I used, well, used my own capital to, to make sure that we got the property and use it for the down payments and then leveraged, responsibly leveraged as much of that uh, as, as possible. So that was, that was the deal. That's, that's how I got started. So this question, and you can, you can answer it any way you please, if you want to answer it with a numeric value, if you want to answer it conceptually, but let's just say there's a, there's a new investor looking to, to get into their first few deals and they've done all the research, they, they're ready to get started and they just want to make sure they have all their T's crossed and their I's dotted. As far as, far as finances go, what's, what is your outlook on how much somebody needs to get started as far as you know, just getting into their first single family or getting into small, small multifamily? What is a good number to have you know, safely in your bank account to, to get started with? So the, I guess the first premise on, a, if, you, if you look at it macro, it's, it's going to depend on what is the person, you know, is this, is this somebody who is, uh, are they earning six figures already and they have a million, a million euros, a million dollars in the bank that they just want to move? Or is this somebody who is, they, they hate their job. They don't, you know, they're just trying to do anything that they can get out of. Or, or is this someone who is completely, they, they've been laid off and they're just trying to figure out how to get started. So I guess depending on where someone is starting from, that should really depend on the way that they, uh, that, 
how they should get started, right? And, and the level of comfort is going to be different for everybody. And the one thing I can almost tell you 100% sure is they're never going to know enough. Like it doesn't matter. Like you, you think you've read every book and you've studied everything and you've done it all. Well, guess what? Something is not going to go right. And the question is, are you today the person that is ready to handle what goes wrong? Or more importantly, is your team, especially if you're going to be building something bigger, is your team ready to handle what is going to go wrong? And that can be through the purchasing process with the title company, with the attorney, with your paperwork, or even into the property management. So, so, so it's, it's really difficult for me to answer that question um, because I don't think it's really about an amount of money. I don't think it's about the specific property. It depends on who the person is, what is the context of their life, and what are they ready to, to do. I love that. I love that. And I threw a curveball at you, but you answered it perfectly. And I, I would answer it the same way. You know, I would tell, I would tell somebody to start with their goals, you know, start with maybe, maybe your someday goals and then, you know, condense that into a five-year goal, into a one-year goal, into a, a, a one-month goal. So you can have daily goals to reach your, your eventual goals. And if you start with your goals, then you can reverse engineer your way to figure out what kind of investing you want to get into. If it, if it is for cash flow, how much you need, what areas you want to get into, how much it costs to be in those areas, things like that. So a good starting place, I think, is, is starting from within, starting with your goals. You know, forget about, you know, all the knowledge, all, all the all the podcasts, all the books and things like that. Start with, you know, what you want. And if you start with your wants and desires, then, then you can formulate a good plan from there. So I think that's amazing. So let's yeah, fast forward to... To, to your most recent deal, Billy. Let's let's talk about your first two deals. We're going to skip through a couple or or a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your let's most. How how is that for so, you? Yeah. So I and I guess I can talk about this now. So it, so as I sit here in Barcelona, I'm really looking forward to the 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 first of February, where we are are scheduled to bring into the portfolio our first mobile home park. And so this was definitely something that was not on the radar, was not interested in mobile home parks, but this just made sense. And looking through, working closely, building a relationship uh, with, a, with, a, with an amazing broker out of Charlotte, North Carolina, it just made sense because at the end of the day, it's about being able to live between Europe and the US and being able to do that. So, and, and through cash flowing assets. And this mobile home park is something that was definitely not on the radar, but it just made sense for us, for our portfolio, and now for our investors. It is a very small mobile home park. It's 17 units, but it has, well, and today it cash flows very well. It's taken us a lot longer to close it than we thought, but as a result of building relationships, trusting those relationships, and putting in the work this uh, this property will be in our portfolio as of the 1st of February. Provided everything goes right, we had, we had a little hiccup. It was supposed to be on the 1st of January, but I have a great team in place. Had to do some things with paperwork, as I mentioned to you before. So even when you experience these kinds of things can still happen. And, and yeah, actually, this is uh, this was one that we liked. We brought it into the portfolio. It's one that's going to be financed by the seller because they now see that that will make the most sense for them for their context. Although they did not want to do that uh, when we put on put in our offer initially, and we're really excited about it. We're really excited about this opportunity to be able to add more value to the marketplace, help our team, and to be able to grow uh, in the Charlotte area. We like we we like Charlotte a lot. That's amazing. And, and of course, share, share what you're allowed to share and what you can. As far as you convincing the seller 
to go with seller financing. Let, let's, let's walk down that path. Let's figure, you know, because that, that would be something that I, I, I would presume that many, many investors, regardless of how much money you have, many investors would, would, of course, jump at the opportunity to get seller financing if they could, if they understand the power of leverage and things like that. So it's not something that, that sellers normally look to, to as an option. So how did that conversation go and how were you able to get the seller to, well, well first let, let's back up. What, what is seller financing? Yeah, sure. So seller financing, it, it, it's kind of like the person who's selling the property is going to be, they're going to act as the bank. They're going to loan, they're going to loan me the money to purchase their property. So that in, in I guess it's the most simple terms. That's what seller financing is. So they, they'd have to not have a loan on the property or they'd have to have a, a, a significantly small loan left on the property? How does, how, does, how does that work? So, so let's say if the, if the property, let's say, it, we'll just use round numbers, right? It's, let's say the property is a million dollars. They would ask for their down payment. Let's say we agree that uh, we're going to do $100,000 down. That $100,000 would actually come out of my pocket. The other 900000 typically I would go to a bank and ask them to loan me $900,000 so that the seller actually has $1 million, which would have been what in this hypothetical situation was the agreed purchase price. In this case, as a seller finance, because they will act as the bank, what my company will do is pay the seller directly those $900,000 over a period of time that we would agree to until that $900,000 is actually paid off into their, to their bank account so that at the end of the day, they actually get the million dollars. So you're paying it directly to the, to the seller over time versus giving them one lump sum of money. So who owns the property during this time? I will actually own the property during this time, for instance, for things like, from, from a title perspective, my company will, will own the property. We, we will own the property. What would you say is the difference between seller financing and a master lease? So the big difference between the seller finance and, and the master lease at this point would be the fact that the, the control is mine and it goes directly to the seller. And it's based on, well, the particular property it doesn't go over a number, the, the entire asset, if you, if you will. So this conversation, you know, you're talking to the seller and a seller, of course, you know, a seller would rather have all of their, most sellers would rather have all their cash up front rather than, you know, in periodic payments. How mm-hmm. did you position your conversation with this seller to solve their problem and also attribute this to your benefit? So you need to have a strong process in place. And it wasn't about me convincing the seller that seller financing was right. It was about me at least putting it out there. And when the process works, your due diligence process works, and your sellers actually can see that there is a way for them to still get the, whether it's the the price or the terms that they need, and they can minimize because this particular person, they wanted to maximize the amount of money that was going into their pocket. And when they understood actually what seller financing could mean for them, they understood that it meant that they would get to keep more money in their pocket at the end of the day. So it's, it's like I said before, like problems come in many shapes and forms and sometimes paying more than your due share is not so, is a problem that people would like to avoid. And if seller financing can be the tool to help them to maximize their, the money in their pocket and also help uh, my company to take over possession of the property, then it works. But in order to get to that point, you have to have a clear process you have to ask the right questions, listen, and then have a, you know, a very healthy exchange. Like I said, it, it wasn't something that the seller wanted to do initially, 
but through the process, it just made the most sense for them. So they actually convinced themselves and I was just able to help them. And also my team was able to help them understand what is seller financing, what benefits it could be for them and how it could help them with their problem. Over how many years is this seller financing in place? This particular is over seven, seven years. It's over seven years amortized over 40 years. So, so if you, if just for anybody, if you, if you may be listening, so if you say amortized over 40 years, that's kind of like saying that you will make equal payments over 40 years. But at the end of the, I believe it's the seventh year, you have to make sure that the remaining 900,000 that we used in the example, then would go to the seller, whatever remaining portion would go to the seller at the end of the seventh year, provided they want to do that at the end of the seventh year. What are the benefits on your end for seller financing? And then we'll move on. I think the, the, the biggest benefit for us in this particular case meant that we're able to close on the property in a, although it's taken longer, we're able to do it in a, in a simpler fashion because it's actually my company negotiating with the seller's company. So we, we're not beholden to all of the other rules and regulations. If you would go to, for instance, the, the person that I told you about in the beginning, there's a certain process. This is more of a, a negotiation from one person to the other and being able to, to speed up my company taking over possession of the property is the biggest benefit for my company and the simplicity and the negotiation. You're, you're in Barcelona and you're, you're running your real estate business and you're investing in U.S. assets. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, talk about, you talk about having ha- uh, the power of having a strong team. How are you facilitating these relationships? What mediums are you using and how are you making sure that you have the right team members in place to keep your company afloat? So the larger part of my corporate career, I've been in sales leadership. And so anytime you need to build a team, you have to... Well, make sure that you have the right talent. Right? What, what, what are the particular roles that you need to hire for? What are the behaviors that you need to bring on board? And then what training can you give those behaviors so that they go out and, and, and accomplish the task at hand? And it's being able to use a lot of those same skills. So when you're sitting, listening to us right now, and you're thinking you're in this corporate job and you're doing this and you're doing that, think about how many of those skills that you actually use in your corporate job that are transferable to building your own business, building your own dream. Because, you know, I've now seen that, you know, 20 years of working in corporate environments, a lot of the skills are now paying off and and I'm I'm using them uh, and building the team, understanding what the particular roles need to be able to do and then going out and and hiring for those roles. Now, I've brought people on board, had to let go go of people because it just wasn't a right fit or thought it was going to be the right thing. And then, you know, someone needed to go do something else or the company wasn't the right company, but it's, it's trial and error. I mean, there's no, there's no silver bullet. There's no perfect answer right away. And you have to try uh, new things. But the, the key is when you recognize that it doesn't work, make the decision and move on because if not, it's going to, you know, it can be much more complicated later on. So hire right, work with people, hire the right behaviors, work with them and then, and then give them the right, uh, give them the right direction. How is your hiring process, you know, knowing that you're in Barcelona, but your team is in the U S yeah. So a lot of it is, so it depends. So if, if we think about now and thinking about building the infrastructure and the team in Charlotte, in the beginning, it's, you know, it goes back to process. So I, I like to work with those who are accredited and, and whether that's through the national association of residential property managers that you start the relationship there. And it's me picking up the phone, making a lot of phone calls, 
boom, 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 you know, starting the relationship there, being very clear with people that I want to, first of all, build relationships. Secondly, I want to be able to make purchases. And then for those that are willing to reciprocate, then at least we have a foundation to build a a relationship on. And then I also, through the experience, I need to understand exactly how much time I'm willing to invest in the relationship, how much they're willing to invest in the relationship, and just being very, very clear, taking time, being clear on my criteria. And it's just like building any other relationship. I just have to use a lot more mediums like uh, Zoom or a lot of the things that are available to us today. I leverage the, the internet a lot. And I also have to be willing to get on a plane, right? Because as much as people say, yeah, you can build relationships, it can all be virtual. Well, when your dream is big enough and real enough, at a certain point, you need to press the flesh, as I like to say. So yeah, I mean, I have to be willing to put my money where my mouth is. I say, I want to invest in a certain place. I'm going to get on a plane from Europe, fly to the States and, and build those teams, invest that time, invest that energy so that people know that it's not just lip service. Lifestyle Design Acceleration Hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Wow. So we talked about Rich Dad, Poor Dad earlier, and that just that's a game changer. But, you know, the, the book that really has had a massive impact on me in the last couple of years, it, there's, a, there's a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And I mean, this, it just, it, my mind just exploded when I read it. So, you know, I thought Jekyll Island is about Jekyll and Hyde and it's, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's anything but that. And talks about the Fed and, and where it started, why it started and, and talking about uh, a banking cartel. It, that, that's a book, it's a big read, but that was definitely one that shifted my mind on the way that I thought about, about money, but put it that way. Love that. And that book is massive, Billy. I've, I mean, I enjoy that book as well, but I haven't gotten all the way through. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I haven't gotten all the way through. Uh, you you want to hack. One of the things I love to be able to do, at, see, I'm a slow reader, but I, so that book, I bought it and then I buy it on Audible. You put those together and it just helps you move faster through uh, the reading. It's one of the ways that I get through more books because that's also, you know, like I said, it's a big one. It's a life changer. It's a game changer. And so I need a little bit of extra help. So I got the audible version as well and put them together. <laughs> I love that. And if you're interested in, in, in hearing more about the Federal Reserve, a.k.a., you know, just hearing more about the, the banking cartel, which is a real thing. <laughs> definitely check out check out the creature uh, from Jekyll Island. What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Right now, I think I really love Zoom right now. And the reason for that is it allows me to speak with with you <laughs> today. I have a call later on with the guy in Moscow, Russia, and we can get on, we can talk, we can see one another. If we need to go into teaching mode, I can share my screen really quickly. I can jump on my iPad. If you have questions, we can talk through it. So right now, from a from, from an education standpoint, from a reach standpoint, it's just, I, I, I love, uh, I'm loving Zoom right now, yeah. Love it, love it, love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? The fact that I have uh, enough flexibility to uh, spend time with my with my family, uh, with my wife and kids. I mean, we, like right now, we, we love skiing every weekend. I can get up early in the morning. I, I'm not beholden to a uh, to a desk. I get to get out all the time, meet people, really smart, interesting people from all over the world, and I love being able to have that freedom and flexibility. Put in a lot of hours, lots of hustle, but. But yeah, I, I love the flexibility right now in my, in my lifestyle. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make 
before the millions to get to where you are today? I guess it's being being selfish. And I mean selfish that it, when it's time to be focused on keep on, I'm focused on keep on. When it's time to be focused on family, I'm focused on family. And when it's, been, when it's time to focus on the nine to five, I'm focused on the nine to five. So selfishness from being focused, I guess, is something that knew I had to, to do because if not, it would be almost impossible. It would be almost impossible. I love that. Selfish, selfish with the time perspective. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Without a doubt, my parents. Yeah, I mean, they, my, my parents are awesome. My mom always has, you know, just sacrificed and shown us that there are no barriers, right? There, there. It's whatever we put our mind to. My dad, in the same way, you know, my dad's been with his wife with my with my stepmom for twenty years, and she's great and supportive. Yeah, so them, and and then also my my wife, man. If, if it weren't for my wife, I wouldn't be able to to do half of the stuff. I mean, just since she's really supportive of this dream. You know, I, I feel like one of the luckiest men in the world, man, just uh, surrounded by a really loving, supportive people that let me do crazy things like <laughs> live in Europe and, and talk to people all over the world and, and invest in U.S. property. So, uh, yeah, so they yeah, so they, they, they've been without a doubt, just massive, massively important for me. That's amazing. And you are literally living the true definition of lifestyle design. So I think I think that's fascinating. Uh, last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Probably because you want to be perfect. Yeah. Or, or afraid of I mean, when I say you want to be perfect, it goes back to the whole thing about perfection. And you don't want to look stupid in front of other people because you made the right, you know, the wrong choice. I don't want people to think, well, I had this crazy dream and was, you know, investing in Spain and doing this or uh, because I want to put, uh, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 towards the project. If it, if it fails, then everybody's going to think I'm stupid because I should have never done this. So and I don't know how you blend that, but it's somewhere between wanting to be perfect and that that fear of rejection from your your circle, your inner circle of people for doing something that's perceived as a little bit crazy. I love that. Billy, this is this has been an amazing interview. Uh, as you can see, I, I'm trying to go for like six hours. <laughs> <laughs> man, if you want to have if you want to have me back, right? I would love to come back, man. This is this is really great. Definitely, we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do that sometime in the future, man. I've I've gotten a lot of value from our conversation. I hope that the listeners have as well. Thanks for sharing your before the million story. You know, it's been it's been really really inspiring knowing that you live internationally and you still invest in the U.S. You invest your cash flow, which means that you're operating on all things lifestyle design and you know you have your wife and kids out there and i think that's amazing you're, you're able to travel back and forth you've kind of shared with us you know your, your beginning stages you've shared with us uh, some of the members on your team that have helped you get to where you are today because you know we don't do it by ourselves we have a, a big conglomerate team that, that we should actually probably give most of the credits and so i'm glad that you are able to kind of shed some light on how you were introduced to your team and some of the the, the key members of your team that kind of propelled your career to where you are today so Thank you for your advice. If the listeners kind of want to reach out to you and ask a few questions, learn a little bit more about you. Where can they find some of your information? Yeah, sure. Happy to share that with you. And you're, you're absolutely right. I just want to say one thing. It is the team and the team alone that allows dreams to be real. One of my mentors says teamwork makes the dream work. And I am a big believer in that. So it's about uh, investing time 
uh, and energy in building the right team. And when you do that properly, just the satisfaction that comes back is, is absolutely amazing. So teamwork makes the dream work. And, and, and yeah, so, you know, and, and I know that there are a number of uh, people that are listening. And so I kind of give it to you in three different uh, flavors. So those of you that are interested in just having a bit more of a conversation, Dore, I'd like to give your listeners a, a direct link to me. They can find me at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash speak with Billy. For those of you that maybe want to read up a little bit about what I've been doing on it from a, from a long distance investing perspective, uh, last year I wrote a book that I'd like to share with you as an Amazon bestseller when it came out. It is, and you can find that at growyourmoneythesmartway.com. Once again, it's growyourmoneythesmartway.com. Just leave your email address and you can download the book. And for those of you who are maybe a little bit more timid and you just want to check out what we've been doing, you can go to keeponcashflow.com. That's K-E-E, P as in Paul, O-N as in Nancy, cashflow.com. Love it. Love it. Love it. Again, Billy, we thank you so much for your time. And like we said, we're going to have to get you back on for a part two. So until then, Billy, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Dre. Thanks so much. And uh, really looking forward to, uh, to, to coming back. And, and thanks so much for the time. Mm-hmm.